You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. When I was a youth pastor in East Texas, I encountered a situation, I've referenced this before, but I had um, a staff of people that were under me that uh, volunteers that worked with our teens and our middle school and our college age. And my job was to pastor them and, and direct them. And so one day my senior pastor came to me and he said, listen, one of your volunteers has an issue in their life that's kind of come to light and I need you to go talk to them about that. And I thought to myself, I don't want to do that. So I didn't. But it turns out that that problem did not go away. And so my pastor came to me again and he said, hey, you need to confront this guy on this situation. It wasn't a huge deal, but it was, it was a violation of our, what our leadership was called to do and what they had all agreed to do. And so I prayed about it, and I didn't want to do it, and I was fearful about what this would do, because I really liked this guy. We were good friends. And then through circumstances, he said, man, the brakes are going on my car. Like, I need to put new brakes on. And I had kind of a nice garage in the house where we lived, and... Um, I said, well, come over and we'll put brakes on your car. And he was like, oh, do you know how to do that? And I was like, sure, kind of. But that's not really the point of this story. So we pulled his car into the garage and we jacked it up and we put it on jack stands and we took the two front tires off. And then I said, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Because that's a good time because he's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, we got the calipers hanging there, and, and I'm like, and, and so I begin to talk to him about this situation, and, and I'm very, uh, I'm not normally very timid. Uh, matter of fact, uh, you know, conflict is not something I typically shy away from, but I was just worried about this situation, and so I begin to just gently say, hey, you know, here's a concern that I have, and he immediately was just like, man, you're right. I got to get this right. And I, I know I've got to get this right. We've been talking about it and I'm going to make it right. And I was like, really? <laughs> like, that's it, <laughs> you know? And so the rest of the time, we had a great time together and we put the brakes on and they worked. And so God was at work. And, um, but that's hard, isn't it? When you have a conflict with someone, depending on your personality and the nature of the situation, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes you can just go, that bugs me, right? But that might not be the godly response either. We've been going through the book of Galatians. We started it here in the new year. We're in Galatians chapter 2. We're using for our theme Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 that says, well, I better, I better say it right. Um, for you have been called to live in freedom. I was going to say brethren, you've been called to live in freedom, but it's like brothers and sisters comes after you've been called to live in freedom. You've been called to live in freedom. Now, when Paul says you've been called, who calls you? God, right? I, that, that's the answer. You're in church. The answer for that question is God. God calls you to what? Live in freedom. Paul's writing this letter to the church because there are people that have come in and said, if you want to live for God, you, you have to receive Jesus Christ, but you also have to do this and this and this. And in this case, it, these were Jews who were talking to non-Jews saying, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to really convert to Judaism and then you can be a Christian. Now, to our mindset, that seems weird. That seems foreign. We've never heard of anybody teaching that. 
But people might say, listen, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to cut your hair like this. You've got to dress like that. You've got to worship this way. You've got to vote this way. You've got to adopt a lifestyle like this. And here's the thing. God desires to form us in the image of Christ. Amen? So it might be natural that the longer we walk with Christ, the more we might share similarities as brothers and sisters in Christ. Make sense? You with me? But we all start by receiving Christ, not by trying to act like Christ. We don't change those things to receive God's grace. God's grace comes upon us and we might start to be formed in the image of Christ. And we might start to have some similarities. I, I have brothers and sisters. We have, uh, I, I have a family. I, I have brothers and sisters. I have brothers and sisters in Christ. Physically, I only have brothers. I got confused there for a second. <laughs> Me and my brothers do some things the same. I have a brother who lives out of state. We have the exact same pair of boots that we wear when we go hunting. Not that, not that that's exclusive to us, but we just tend to think the same way. We tend to buy the same kind of gear. But we have differences too. The same thing is true in our spiritual family. You don't have to come to Belmar and look a certain way and act a certain way, and that's the only way to be accepted. Listen, Jesus Christ, we come to God, we can do nothing, we can change nothing. It's all God does it for us. And so Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians about that. And what he's doing is establishing his authority to proclaim that they've been called to live in freedom. And so he begins in chapter 1 talking about his apostleship. And then here in chapter 2, he's going to talk about conflict and resolving conflict that things that had taken place in the Jerusalem council. And it's going to parallel Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is the story of the Jerusalem council in the first church. And we're going to look at that, but we're going to try to stay in our text this morning in Galatians chapter 2 and learn what Paul is trying to teach us, what, what Paul is trying to teach the church at Galatia and God has for us. Paul said, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. Well, of course, in chapter 1, he was talking about how he didn't consult with the apostles. He had gone to Jerusalem, but only for a couple of weeks. He had only met Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. And then, as we learned last week, he went back to his hometown. He was there for several years. Barnabas brought him over to Antioch. And during that time, he was preaching, and he was preaching to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. They were receiving Christ. God was doing a work. He says, then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. This time with Barnabas, I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose among some false believers. Uh, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks uh, to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. 
As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, or Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcision. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Now these 10 verses are interesting. Paul's clearly telling a story, but he is talking to people who have a lot of context that we don't necessarily have. We do have the context because of scripture, but in just reading this, when I'm like, when, when it's like Cephas and, and James and John, you're like, I've heard those, but I, I don't know those people. Who, what is he talking about? And, and what are the significances of some of these things? So I want to break it down, and as we do, I think we're going to see application for us. After 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, Galatians 2, verse 1, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. So Paul says a couple of things here. He says, I go to Jerusalem, which was where it all began, right? Jerusalem was where Jesus was crucified. It was where he rose again. It was outside of Jerusalem where he ascended into heaven. It was where the temple was. It was where Jesus taught. It was in that area where, where Christianity began, following Jesus began. And that was the center of Jewish worship. Paul being a Jew, Barnabas being a Jew, they would have, they, they were, had been to Jerusalem many times. They had worshiped there. So he goes back to Jerusalem. And he says, I met privately and I brought a guy named Titus who was a Greek. Now for us, we're like, what does that matter? He eats eros, gyros. I don't even know how to say that. But what it meant was he wasn't a Jew. And so all of the things that Paul had followed in his life, all of the things that Barnabas and Peter and John and James, they had been circumcised as babies. They had uh, never eaten certain, certain things that the, that the Hebrew law said was unclean. They had worshiped on Saturday. They had uh, the Sabbath day. They had uh, kept certain feasts, certain fasts. They had done all of these things. Titus had done none of that. This guy was a guy who grew up in a completely different culture. Maybe the, probably a similar area, all under the Roman rule, but man, it was different. And so Titus goes up to Jerusalem. He doesn't have any of that background. And so Paul comes with Barnabas. Remember Barnabas originally came from Jerusalem, went up to Antioch, saw all that God was doing among the Gentiles, became a traveling partner and ministry partner with Paul. And he comes with Titus, this non-Jew. And they met privately. They're going there because there's a conflict. Paul's going to detail this conflict here in a moment. Paul has been having arguments with these people that came and put other things on the gospel. But Paul said, when I went, I went to the leaders and I met privately. See, the Bible tells us how to deal with conflict. The conflict is described in Acts chapter 15 and verse 2. It says, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, talking about these guys who had come up to Antioch, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. 
Paul and Barnabas have been arguing with these guys. They say, let's go down to Jerusalem because that's where these guys had come from. Let's settle this thing once and for all. And Paul is driving, not driving, he's traveling to Jerusalem. I imagine a road trip. Right? They're traveling together and they're like, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And these guys, they have been on my last nerve. I've been arguing with, with these guys for months and I am ready. I've got my arguments here. I've got my, my, my proofs. We're bringing Titus. He's exhibit A in how God can work in the Gentile and they don't need to convert to Judaism. And I am, I am just, I have had it. You ever been there? And I imagine it would have been easy for Paul to roll into Jerusalem and say, let's have a public meeting. But he didn't do that. He met with the leaders privately. Because Jesus told us that's the way to resolve conflict. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, if another believer sins against you, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it to you, you have won that person back. You're rolling along in your life. Someone does something, says something, doesn't do something, doesn't say something that they shouldn't or shouldn't have done or said, and it bothers you. Now, I'm sure that this only happens every once in a great blue moon, right? Because most days, it's all unicorns and rainbows, amen? But every once in a while, just a little speed bump happens. And you are supposed to go to that person and say, hey, what you did hurt me, offended me, I felt like was inappropriate, whatever it was. And if they see that, if they're like, oh, I didn't see it this way, but now that you say it, I understand your perspective. I'm sorry, or I won't do that again, or whatever, then you're supposed to receive that. You've restored fellowship, and nobody else has to know. Unless you're a preacher, then you use it as a sermon illustration years later. <laughs> I just thought of that. I was like, yeah, I guess I took a private conversation. He's now in heaven, so I think he's probably all right with it. But nobody else has to know. But we don't always handle it that way, do we? We're like, well, maybe I ought to get some advice. Sometimes getting advice is an excuse for, I need to talk to someone else about this. Or I'm going to just get some other people to pray with me about it. So I'm going to share it as a prayer request. You know, Jesus doesn't say you ought to pray about it with some friends. He says, go to that person and work it out. Don't come to the pastor about it. Don't go to your buddy about it. Don't share it with your little group. Don't have a private little group text about it. Go to that person so that fellowship can be restored and then that's it. Nobody else has to know. Because sometimes it's easy to take up other people's offense, isn't it? I mean, if, if my wife comes to me and she says, hey, you know, I, I was at work or I was doing this and someone did this and, and they said this to me or they did something, man, I can get fired up pretty quick about that. But that's not the conflict resolution that Jesus laid out. I'm not saying you can't talk to your spouse about things. But Jesus said, this is how you do it. He goes on, and we're not going to unpack Matthew 18 today, but he said, hey, listen, um, if that doesn't work, if that person's like, well, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I just think you're wrong, and you're overly sensitive, or, you know, I, I know you think I did this, but I didn't do it, or whatever it is. 
Jesus said, then you go get somebody else. Someone that both of you can trust. Not your best friend, but someone that both of you can listen to and try to establish that situation. So that between the three of you, you can work it out. And he said, if that doesn't work, then you take it to the whole church. Take it to the leaders. How often do we not do what Jesus told us to do in the way we solve conflict? I've had people come to me before and they say, preacher, you know, this person did this. And I'll say, well, you ought to go talk to them about that. And they're, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Or I'd be embarrassed. Or it's, I've had people say this, it's not that big a deal. I don't want to go talk to them. Well, then why are you talking to me about it? Right? I mean, if it's not a big enough deal for you to talk to them about it, it's not a big enough deal for you to talk to me about it. Amen, preacher. That's good. That's right from scripture. Man, listen, I'm not saying I'm perfect in that. We all fall in that. We all fail in that. But this is what, this is what Jesus has told us to do. And so Paul went and met privately. He goes on and then talks about I want to bring out one more thing. He said, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Now, I don't think Paul here, Paul has been establishing his authority. He's not here saying, I had doubts about what I was preaching, and so I wanted to go to these guys and make sure it was okay. Rather, he wants to make sure that the church at large is in unity. We learn from Acts that as they traveled from Antioch down to Jerusalem, over 200 miles that they would have taken on foot, maybe, maybe on some, some animals, but it was going to be a slow ride. They stopped in different villages where they had preached and they preached the gospel and they gave reports about how other villages had received the gospel and they, they spread joy and rejoicing amongst the believers. That's not a guy who's like doubting that he's preaching the wrong thing. With me? But he does want to make sure that what he's doing, it, that there's unity among the believers. Then in verse 3 of Galatians 2, he says this, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy out the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. They bring in Titus. Paul wrote a book or a letter to Titus. We have it as a book in our Bible. It's named Titus. Some books in the Bible are named after the people that wrote them and some books in the Bible are named after the people they were written to so that we could be confused about it. First, second, third John, written by John. Letters one, two, and three. First and second Peter, written by Peter. Letters one and two. Titus, written by Titus. No, written by Paul to Titus. I, I don't know why it's done that way. We get to heaven, we can yell at the people who named the books of the Bible, I guess. Probably won't be the biggest thing we have to deal with when we get to heaven. Titus is what they call a pastoral epistle, along with 1 and 2 Timothy, also written by Paul to Timothy. Because these were his protégés. And in Titus chapter 1 and verse number 4, it says this, I am writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. That was Titus. Titus was a guy who Paul was pouring into, who he saw the Holy Spirit at work, and who... Titus, Paul will say in several of his letters, I sent Titus, I trusted Titus, I knew Titus could do the job. That was this guy. 
And so no wonder Paul brings him to Jerusalem because it was obvious that he was a believer. It was obvious that he was born again. It was obvious that God was upon him, that the Holy Spirit was in him, but he wasn't a Jew. And so he said, what should we do with this guy? It seems like God's at work in him. And again, these guys are trying to figure it out, right? They're trying to be directed by the Holy Spirit here. And Paul recognized that these other believers were false believers. These people that were coming in and trying to pervert the gospel. This is what Acts chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 says about it. While Paul and, Barnabas were, Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived. That's the area of Jerusalem. And they began to teach the unbelievers, unless you are circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you do this, you cannot be saved. Unless you clean up your act, unless you convert to Judaism, unless you do it our way, you're not really going to be able to do it. God's not going to accept you. But it was when you were unacceptable that God sent his son to die for you and for me. And all we have to do is believe. With that, comes repentance. And as, listen, if you've got the Holy Spirit at work in you, it's going to change you. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. God is going to work to mold and make you into the image of Jesus. But that's not what we have to do to receive the grace of God in our life. That's how we start. And he says in verse 2, Paul and Barnabas, we've already read this, but they disagreed with him, arguing vehemently. This is very interesting when we read Galatians chapter 2 and we think about what's going on here. Because Paul is going to Jerusalem and he has been arguing and in conflict with this group, but he is coming to make peace with this group. That's a hard thing sometimes, isn't it? To know who we're supposed to be in conflict with and who we're supposed to be at peace with. And again, I think it depends on your personality. I've got the type of personality most of the time where I don't mind being in conflict with everybody. You know? Some mornings I just wake up, I'm in a bad mood. I just want to fight with somebody. Some of you are like, man, you're a jerk, preacher. I, sometimes, maybe you're a peacemaker. You just hate conflict. You don't want to be a conflict with anybody. If we're a conflict with everybody, we're not following after Jesus. We don't have the peace of God in our life. If we're a conflict with nobody, we ought to question whether we're standing for the truth of Jesus Christ. You with me? So Paul had been in conflict with these guys who he says they're false believers. They're twisting the gospel. But he's coming to Jerusalem and probably in one sense he's ready for a fight. But the first thing he does is meet privately. He wants peace and he wants unity. James says this, the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. James 3.17 says this. Keep that up there for a second. The peace or the wisdom from above is first what? Pure. It's first pure. We have to make sure that the truth is the truth. Then it's peaceable. 
It's peace-loving. Remember what the disciples said? Remember they, they saw some people and they said, Jesus, we saw some guys and they were casting out demons in your name, but they're not in our group, so we told them to stop. And Jesus said, good job, because if you're not right in this little circle, then you're nothing. That's not what he said, right? No, he said, you're either for me or against me. Who are you to tell these people to stop? Those who claim the name of Jesus Christ, that the world is in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to first make sure that the wisdom from above is pure. We need to first make sure that there's truth. But then we need to seek to be peaceable. Listen, that doesn't mean we won't have disagreements. But as Christians, man, sometimes we just, we can be so petty. Like, it's like, with some people, it's like, well, we've got to continue to discuss and discuss until we find something that we disagree about so that then we cannot like one another. When did God call us to do that? And so they have this meeting. They get together, and Paul said, they didn't make Titus be circumcised. Even these leaders in Jerusalem. And who were these leaders? We talked about this a little bit last week. There's three guys named. There's John and Peter, also called Cephas, and James. Again, this is a little confusing. The brother of Jesus. Not James, the brother of John, who by this point had already been martyred for his faith. So we have these three guys all of them devout Jews. Peter, he was the fisherman, like John, who left everything to follow Jesus, this Jewish rabbi. James was the brother of Jesus who at first rejected Jesus, grew up in a devout Hebrew home, but upon the resurrection of Christ, recognized him as the Messiah. All of these guys are living in Jerusalem. They're worshiping at the temple. They're devout Jews. And yet, here comes Paul with this report, and, and they meet this guy, Titus, and they recognize that God is doing something among the Gentiles. But it was a difficult thing for those guys to get to. One of the ways we know how difficult it was is we can remember from Acts. Remember when Peter was preaching? And Peter was the guy, right? The day, I mean, Peter denied Christ, but Christ restored him after the resurrection. On the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up. He is full of the Holy Ghost. Thousand, every time Peter preaches, thousands of people come to Christ. He's the guy. And then he's traveling around and he gets a vision from God. Acts records that, that that this sheet comes down from heaven and it opens up and it's all of these foods that are not clean for Jews to eat. And in this vision, there's this voice from heaven that says, hey, Peter, let's eat. And Peter said, not that. I, I don't know what it was. Shrimp cocktail. Other... Unclean Jewish foods, I don't know. Bacon, yeah. BLTs and shrimp cocktail. Well, I don't know. But Peter said, I can't do that. And then this voice says, don't call unclean what I say is clean. Peter comes out of that vision and he's like, I mean, I've been doing this my whole life. And then word comes, hey, there's a Roman official, a Roman centurion that wants to meet with you. And he goes, and Peter is declaring the gospel. 
and they receive the gospel and the Holy Spirit is on them. They're speaking in tongues and Peter recognizes. And later it would say that, that Peter recognizes that they need to be baptized, which doesn't sound weird to us, but at that time it was, it was transformative because it was only Jews that were receiving the Holy Spirit, only Jews that were believing on Christ as the, as the Jewish Messiah, but now the gospel is spreading to others. And so Peter had to adjust his thinking. Galatians 2 and verse 6, Paul concludes and says, as for those who were held in high esteem, Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. Now, this is an interesting verse because it sounds like Paul isn't giving a lot of respect to Peter and James and John. But remember that Paul is establishing his authority, and his authority is not man's authority. His authority is God's authority. That's important because later in chapter two, he's going to have to correct Peter. Even though Peter says one thing and does one thing, later he's going to do another thing. And Paul's going to, to his face, correct him. Paul is not saying, listen, I'm preaching out of, you know, because I've been authorized by the first church of Jerusalem. Peter put a stamp of approval on me or James put a stamp of approval on me or some other man. He said, no, listen, I am preaching out of the authority of Almighty God as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the authority on which he stood. And he says in verse 7, on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, these esteemed, these esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. When they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do all along. See, God brought unity from potential conflict. These guys recognized that their job, their mission, was primarily to preach the gospel to the Jews. Now, Peter preached the gospel to the Gentiles as well, and Paul preached the gospel to the Jews, even though his primary ministry was to the Gentiles. It's not that, it's not that they could only do those things, but it was that this is what God had called them to do. This is what God had prepared them to do. And it wasn't a competition. It wasn't about who was in charge or who was the leader. God was in charge. Listen, we're going we're gonna to have a business meeting here in a few minutes. And we're going to give some accounting. We're going to do some different things. For next month, I will have been at Belmar for 16 years as the senior pastor. Yeah, amen, or who thought it, or what in the world. You can do whatever, right? This year, we're going to celebrate 75 years as a church. We're going to do that. We're going to, we've got some things that we're working on for the fall. I'm really excited about that. Uh, for a lot of you, maybe you've just been here for a short time, but we're just going to celebrate some things historically, talk about what God has done. I think, I think it's going to be good for us as a church, and I think it's good for us to be able to honor uh, some different parts of our past. I, in being here for 16 years, in the 75-year history of our church, as much as I can discern from our records, I have pastored this church longer than anybody else. I do not say that in, in, in a prideful way. Listen, no one's more surprised about that than me. 
In some regards, I'm surprised we're still here. It's not my church. It's God's church. It's not your church. We are the church, but we belong to him. And if we forget that, we will lose our way. That's why my job is to preach and declare the truth from the word of God. And I'm to do that authoritatively as the pastor. And I want you to hear that and receive that as the Holy Spirit makes application to, to your life. But you are a child of God indwelt by the Holy Spirit, a saint of God, and you do not need me to tell you anything. If God uses me, that's great, but you're to discern whether what you hear is my voice or the voice of God. You understand what I'm saying? That's how this thing is supposed to work. So that if I stand up and say something that isn't right, you, would, you should reject that as being untrue. Now, I'm going to work not to do that, but you have to work to hear it. Does that make sense? And so Paul is looking at these pillars of the church and he's respecting them. He made the trip down to Jerusalem, but listen, he wasn't coming just to get their approval. His first goal was unity, but he stood in confidence in what God had called him to do. And God has called each of us to be his sons and his daughters, to walk in the plan that he has for us. But out of this came great unity. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 3 as he writes to that church. Beginning in verse 3, he says, For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Paul? Who, or who is Apollos? Who is Paul? For we are only God's servants to whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work that, God, that the Lord gave him. Listen, it's not about being Baptist or Presbyterian or Lutheran. It's not about being in this camp or, or the, our authority is God Almighty. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that denominations are wrong. They can be helpful for, in some ways. They're, they're, we partner with other churches to send out missionaries, to plant churches, to do things that would be difficult for us to do on our own. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But our authority is God. And we've got to constantly keep that before us or we will lose our way. And God brought unity in this situation. In Acts chapter 15, I want to close by reading the response of James and Peter. See, let me read Acts 15, 6 through 9 first. I know I'm going out of order, Dale. I'm, I apologize. They, they have this public meeting. It's known as the Jerusalem Council recorded in Acts 15. And Paul and Barnabas present how God has been working among the Gentiles. People are rejoicing, but then there's a group that stands up and they're like, but that's wrong. Because these guys aren't being circumcised. They're not following the Jewish laws. They're not setting aside our holidays like we are. This isn't right. And then Peter stands up. Fisherman Peter, with Jesus Peter, walked on the water Peter, spoke at Pentecost, thousands saved Peter. 
So the apostles and elders met together to resolve the issue, Acts 15, 6. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Then, a few verses down, James stands up. James, the brother of Jesus. James, the guy who seemingly had become kind of the man at the church of Jerusalem. And he said this in Acts 15 and verse 19. So my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Keep that verse up there for a second. What if we as a church decided we were not going to make it difficult for the people of Lakewood who desire to turn to God? What would that mean about how we conduct ourselves as a church? What would that mean about who comes in to our church? Because there will be situations and people that are going to make you uncomfortable. Or maybe you're super spiritual and that's not the case. But there are situations and people that make me uncomfortable. I'm just telling you. Every week we do a food bank and most of those weeks I sit out under the overhang and I check people in. They drive through and I talk to them. We have folks who, whose gender I do not know. I don't know where they're coming from, and I'm not sure where they're going. And, I, and I, I mean, that's kind of a funny thing to say, but really my heart breaks because I think those people are looking for something that can only be found in Jesus. I mean, some weeks people come through there, and the, the, the stench of... of Hot rolling out of their car. I'm like, bro, crack a window. That I know that people are dealing with, I know people are abusing drugs and alcohol. I know people, I mean, I see people just even in those brief interactions where I recognize that the things that they are following after will only bring them pain and discouragement. And what they need is Jesus. And we give them food for two reasons. One, Jesus said feed the hungry, and that's the only reason we need. But two, we want to show them that they're loved. We invite them to church, and we invite them to come in here. And I've invited some of those folks to church before, and you know what they've said to me? Would I be welcome in your church? And I'm like, yeah! And then I'm like, would they? I mean, what if someone walked in and we didn't know what restroom to send them to? That's uncomfortable, right? But not more uncomfortable than them dying and going to hell. Right? You say, well, preacher, you're getting, I don't like where this is headed. I mean, what if someone walks in that smells horrible and they're sitting in your chair? Oh, it's not your chair. It's God's chair. We already talked about that. Amen? But peace sometimes means we're uncomfortable. See, I want peace where everybody conforms to me. Right? When I preach, ooh, I'm going long today, but I'm done. That's okay. I got one more little point. 
when I preach, when I create my messages, write them out, if you get the notes every week, I put at the very bottom my next step today. Like, what's the point of all of this? And the next step for today, is, and I don't always read it or say it, but the next step for today is this, to trust God's work in others through his gospel. My next step last week was this, to trust God's work in your life through his gospel. See, last week, I tried to make the application that God is at work and you need to trust God that he's going to first save you and forgive you of your sins and then he's gonna conform and mold you into the image of God. That's not an easy thing for us to do, but if you come to church for any length of time, you probably are familiar with that concept and you try to trust God to be at work in your life. But we also are obligated, I think, to trust God to be at work in the lives of others. And that means sometimes we just have to trust that the gospel is powerful enough to save anyone, to change and transform anyone. And it's not our job to do that. I think that's what scared these Judaizers. Holy cow, they're believing on Jesus and God's gonna, God's gonna bestow to them all the blessings of the Jews and they don't have to do any of the stuff that we've been doing our whole lives? Well, that's not fair or that's not what we thought how God would work. We need to be open to God's work in others. And trust him to do that. I believe God wants to raise up Paul's and Titus's out of our church. Let us trust the power of the gospel to do that. Dear God, we thank you so much for your love and for your goodness to us. God, I don't want to create conflict just to create it. I don't want to stir up trouble, Lord, but I want you to be at work in the middle of us. God, I want you to be at work at Belmar Church. God, we shouldn't care who gets any credit, who what you're doing, but God, we want you to do it and you to receive the glory. God, I believe you desire to save those who are far from you. You desire to not just transform and mold us, but to transform and mold others. And God, I pray that you would use us as a church to see that happen right here in Lakewood, Colorado. We love you, Lord, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.